welcome to the Garden Church Podcast. The following message was previously recorded at the Garden Church in downtown Long Beach, California. Um, I get asked often, you know, how's ministry going? How's the garden going? How's the other work you're doing? How's it going? And, you know, to respond to that, I often, you know, begin to think about the stories of people in our church that are responding to God's Spirit and moving out, reaching, going to St. Louis or St. Luke's and taking underwear, which seems so, you know, just basic, but to the person receiving it is literally Jesus showing up that day. Um, They have stories in our body of families who, um, out of out of even difficulty reach out to um, other moms who are struggling and take their kids in and they're on campus and these kids you know are often from the streets and I see them in our kids ministry and because someone's reached out I see Jesus do incredible things I got a call this last week from a gal who just bought an apartment you know just two blocks down and she goes I want to open up my house I want people to come in and I'm like, are you sure? Because we will do that. Um, but just this heart that seems to be tied to, to those who really follow Christ, when you begin to follow Him, you realize that that heart takes you to other people. You know, I think of even people that want to go outside of the country. Um, I get to go on a plane tomorrow night. I do work in Haiti. And there's this little girl. The story's kind of grabbed my heart the last couple of weeks. Her name's Marley, and she goes to her school, and she has this disease called um, psoriasis. It's like a skin disease, but real heavy, just scars and sores all up and down her body and her face. And For years, she would not be let in school because the uh, schoolmaster would not let her in and was at this kind of um, fear of it. So she just was just hated herself, and someone from our organization reached out and went down and got her on the right medication and you know it's hard to get the medication down there but has done it for three years and now this girl is shining and smiling and going to school and accepted Jesus and her whole family can see what God's doing and it took someone to reach out to do that we're in this series um, called empowered for life we're moving through the book of Acts and today we're talking about um, being empowered to reach. And we're going to text in a little bit. We're going to talk about Peter and what God was doing in him. But I think, for me, why this is so key is I think our natural inclination as just people, but especially as Southern Californian people, is to sit, to be comfortable, to do what's best for me. That we as a body, we as a church have to fight against that almost daily because we're told we deserve it. We're told that it's all about me. But then you get into Scripture, you follow the Spirit, and you realize it's not. That what He does in me is intricately tied to what He wants to do in others. And that to be part of this is this sweet invitation of a Heavenly Father that loves us And although it's difficult, wants us to really play on his team. 
Like, I love sports. Like, I really love sports, like playing sports. And got done watching the, the World Cup. Anybody watch that small little game, right? We won't talk about results, but um, I was thinking about this. Like, if you got the call, like, do you want to be on the team? Do you want to play? Or in the World Cup? You want to represent your country? Do you imagine getting that call? And then, like, playing in the final? Like, the world's watching? And, like, scoring that winning goal? Like, imagine, like, that call came and said, you're going to win. I guarantee it. I guarantee you're going to shoot the final goal. You'd be like, I'm in. I'll do whatever it takes. I will go because I want to shoot that goal. Well, I think when the Spirit is moving and tugging and pulling, He's inviting us to be on this team called the church for a specific purpose. And He's saying, we all get to play. We all get to be a part of it. Yeah, the training is rigorous. It's not easy. You've got to devote your entire life to it. But man, you get to shoot the final goal. Right? But I think, even though we get that invitation, I think even though it comes, there's some of us that for some reason, you know, I want to just sit on the bench and watch. Or you know what, I'll sit up in the stands. Or maybe I won't even come into the stadium. As followers of Christ, I think we run the risk of forgetting what we've been invited into. That we have been invited into a story that is so amazing that we get to experience the grace that God bestows upon us. But it's not to just be kept. In fact, it's meant to be shared in radical ways. And this is what we see in the text. So there's this guy, you might have heard of him, named Peter. So Peter, at this point in the text, I'm going to go through chapter 9 and 11. Peter is at quite a road. From being a fisherman to following Jesus for a few years, to denying him, to then experiencing the explosion of the church in Jerusalem. To being basically, if not one of the leaders, the leader of the church. And he's in. And he's watching this all happen in Jerusalem. The text says over and over that the church is multiplying. It's like this picture, the Spirit's on the move. It's going all throughout the region. What you see with Peter, you see this picture of one calling fulfilled. Luke begins to write about Peter, and this is kind of the last little bit we get of him, where he's lived a pretty full life following Christ. But Jesus had told them they'd go to Jerusalem, Judea, and beyond. And so in the text we're going to go through, Luke spans, he kind of pulls back a little bit, that over a couple chapters, he gives us a picture of of seven different cities in what the Spirit is doing. And what Peter gets, what he gets, is that Jesus' approach, what Jesus did, 
was that he simply shared truth, witness to what he experienced as a father, and then he went out and served and healed. So in Jerusalem, as the church was exploding, Peter basically did the same thing. He went to Solomon's porch, which was just this little area in front of the temple, and he would preach. And at this point, Peter had gotten so filled with the Spirit, so filled with power, that when he walked, the text says that people would actually show up and just try to get into a shadow because they believed that it would heal him. Echoes of Jesus saying, you will do more than I. Remember, they tried to touch Jesus. They had just a short time with Jesus. A longer time with Peter, experiencing the power of his healing. What did Peter do? Did he begin to write a book and go on a book tour? Did he launch a large campaign to build Jerusalem megachurch? No. He continued to do exactly what Jesus did. And the power of the Spirit was upon him. The power then pushes him out. See, there's something, and I think we all get it when I say it, that when you're in Christ and you're following Him and you're experiencing Him and you see something that's not right, a just injustice in the world, or you see somebody that needs Christ, something in you says you need to reach out. Something says you need to be part of that answer. Right? So Peter was experiencing this. So we pick up with him in chapter 9, and we're just going to go through a few texts here. We start in uh, this town called um, Lydda. And it says, as Peter traveled about the country, he went to visit the Lord's people who lived in Lydda. So see, here the Spirit's already going to the town. Peter is going and following where the Spirit is. There he found a man named Ananias, who was paralyzed and had been bedridden for eight years. So Peter makes his way towards the coast, which I really like that part, and gets into a town called Lydda. And you would think that strategically he would go in, bring the leaders together. They would go and have a lot of food and lunches and start talking about a strategic plan, do a big campaign. It's not what he did. He found an obscure dude who was paralyzed for eight years. And he got down, prayed over him, he says, in Jesus' name, you're healed. The, the man gets up and walks. And later in the text, it says the entire town turns to God. That's a pretty good strategy. Okay. So he keeps going, and he goes to this town called Joppa. And in Joppa, there is a disciple named Tabitha. In Greek, her name is Dorcas. She was always doing good and helping the poor. About that time, she became sick and died, and her body was washed and placed in an upstairs room. Lydda was near Joppa, so when the disciples heard that Peter was in Lydia, they sent two men and urged him, Peter, come at once. So then Peter follows, goes where the invitation is. And later the text, he simply sits next to this faithful woman who had just been 
serving and making clothes and doing the day in and day out work that so many of us are called to as believers. And then she passed away. He gets invited in. He kneels down, prays over her in the name of Jesus. Very simply, she gets up and everybody just kind of rejoices. And it says later, most of the people or lots of people in the town turn to God. So here Luke is taking us through these two stories. And the next story is really the big one. Even though someone being raised from the dead, I think, would be a pretty big story today. So then we find ourselves in chapter 10. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion, who was known as the Italian Regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day, about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? He asked. Later in the text, God just says, You have done well. I can see that you have feared me and that you've served. It's been a memorial unto me. He tells him about Peter being down south. This guy named Peter sent some people to go find him. So you see the Spirit just begin to move. Now it's pretty significant because Caesarea at the time was this port city. Not unlike Long Beach, seriously. Just a very strategic city where so many of the goods came in and out. It's where lots of food would go back to Rome. And Rome would establish a port town like Caesarea with centurions, proven men from the battlefield. Men who led um, probably about 100 people, that's the term centurion. So these men were kind of the, the, the icon of the strength of the Romans. And so here, this man has been out at an outpost for a while, Cornelius, and he experiences a God amongst the people, and he begins to follow him. And then we get back to Peter. And Peter's back in Joppa, and he's a little tired. He's a little hungry. So he goes to the roof. I would have grabbed a hammock. He's sitting there in the breeze, probably 80 degrees. And he has this vision. And it's a powerful vision. It's a game changer, really, in the book of Acts. Because you see in the vision, there's a sheet that falls. And in the sheet, it's made up of every kind of animal. The significance is, is even to that time, that the Jewish people understood that there were some animals that were clean, that were allowed to kill and eat, and there were many that you could not. They still had pretty big boundaries that extended not just animals, but to people, the Gentiles and the Jews. At that time, the majority of the faith, the majority of the way the Christians had happened among the Jews. So Peter sees this vision. And God, as he often does, <clears throat> uses some, some irony. And he said, hey, you're hungry, Peter. Reach out. Grab some food. Go get a T-bone steak up there. And Peter looks at it. And I still 
after all this time, Peter had the gall to say back to God, No, God, I won't, because it's unclean. Peter still had some learning to do. Side note, we've been walking with God for a while. We better keep our ears still very much in tune to Him. If we're serving for a long time, God wants to show us new things. He wants to speak through us through His Spirit. He wants us to cross new boundaries. So Peter, basically, finally, after three times, because he was stubborn, got it. Okay, well, what are you talking about? He said, well, there's two men down, and they're calling for you. You need to follow them. So he said, okay, I'll do that. Follows them to Cornelius. Takes about two days for him to get there. Shows up. What has Cornelius done? Cornelius, this centurion, this strong gladiator-looking man, has invited his entire family. And Peter comes up, working class, fisherman, with a few people, because he was probably scared to show up at the foot of a a, um, centurion. And you can just see this picture of two leaders. A leader in the spirit and a leader of men. As Peter comes, the centurion literally falls at the feet of Peter because God had done enough work in his heart for him to realize that the God behind Peter was much stronger than the Caesar of Rome. He falls, and Peter's a little embarrassed. He's like, come on, dude, get up. People are watching. I'm just, I'm just a guy, just like you. There's this real kind of cool interchange. And Peter crosses and walks into the home of the centurion, which was significant, because at that point, Jews and Gentiles were still not to mix. So Peter steps in and walks in. And he was never accused of being very eloquent. So Peter walks in. There's this room of people. He doesn't really know why he's there. And so he says what comes to mind. You all know I shouldn't even be here because I'm a Jew and you're not. You could see kind of like the awkwardness in the room. He said, so why did you call me? The centurion, you could see him. I mean, this is a guy that commanded people to fight. He had probably slain hundreds, if not thousands of people, probably many many, uh, Jews. He responds in humility. says, I don't know. The Spirit told me. God told me something. And you're supposed to talk. And so Peter opens his mouth. And he says... Um, the most simple of words, he gives testimony. And he basically lays out the gospel. And it wasn't eloquent. It wasn't long. He basically said, here's Jesus. Jesus Christ, you've heard of him. He walked, he moved, he healed, he taught. They killed him. He rose again. We saw it. He's changing lives. It's basically it. And as he's talking, literally, the entire group of people, the Spirit of God falls on them. And they're just, they erupt 
It literally would be like, as I'm talking, this room exploding with people worshiping, speaking in tongues, hands being raised, because the Spirit of God just entered in. Peter looks back and the people are with him. They see all this happening. It's blowing their mind. Think about it. The oppressors, the Romans, now worshiping Jesus Christ. Peter gets all exuberant, as he sometimes does. So this is amazing. Let's go baptize all you. Let's go down to the ocean. And they walk down probably to the ocean. And if you were an onlooker, imagine what you'd be watching. A bunch of middle class, working class, Jewish people walking with a centurion and his family to be baptized. That would cause some waves in the city. Later on in the text, Luke's not done yet. He talks later about Peter having to go back and share this story in Jerusalem. So this has happened. So he's got to go back and tell the others. Ever had a high in God? God done something really, really great? And you start to share to someone, they don't get it. And it's like, so Peter goes back and begins to share and they're just criticizing him they don't get it what are you doing with those guys those are the pagans those are the the fill in the blank you don't hang out with those you don't go there this message is not for them you can choose who you want to share with and who you don't. And Peter, rather than arguing, basically just steps up and does the same thing. Guys, I can't really give you a big explanation. The Spirit came. I responded. This guy called me. I went. I began to talk. And it's like the place erupted. And you've heard me preach. I'm not that good. They automatically have trusted Peter. He's a leader. They say, man, that's incredible. All right, we get it. And they rejoice. And Luke's not done with the story because he has the spirits moving in Jerusalem and Lydda and Joppa. It can't be contained. And up in Cyrus and Cyrene and Antioch, so the spirit's moving. And even up there, there's some Jews that just don't get in. They won't share with Gentiles, but some do. And so the church begins to erupt without Peter, but it starts to happen up there. So because of what Peter had shared, and because the Jewish Christians got it, they had heard about what was going on up there. They're like, we got to support that. So they took their best. They sent Barnabas and this guy named Saul to go up and to teach the people up in Antioch. You know what ends up happening? After some time, the text says that the church in Antioch, prophecy began. And a guy steps up and, and gives a prophecy that a famine's going to hit Jerusalem, which it does. It's recorded historically. And because that prophecy was released, the Christians up in Antioch said, well, we've got to do something about it. 
they reach back out and they collect money. They send it to Saul, Barnabas, who take it back down to take care of the church in Jerusalem. We get this this 183, 60 degree look at the Spirit working and moving in two chapters. Sending Peter out. The Spirit moving. Breaks down boundaries. The boundaries are broken. Do you imagine, probably, had Peter not obeyed? The Spirit would have continued to move. It already was. But you know who probably lost out? The Jews in, in Jerusalem. They probably would have never sent Saul and Barnabas. They probably would have suffered so much more. See, the Spirit had this plan. The crazy thing is when we reach out, those of us that reach out are changed to every bit as much as those that we reach. And this is the message, this picture that we get of the Spirit. It falls. It moves. The transformation of an individual person, as we read, is always connected to a larger story. What God is doing and how He's working is always bigger than we can comprehend. Don't try to control the Spirit. Follow the Spirit and what He's doing. So here's a little top ten list. Little some lessons from this story. Number one, there's just something about serving the poor, sick, and marginalized. It kind of matters. When you look at the text, they kept going into the downs and they'd find the paralyzed person. They'd find the dead person. Jesus had this knack for going after the people that others forget. As Christians, we're called to remember the people that other people forget. So number two, when we do that, it requires us to move out of the comfortable to the uncomfortable. Peter, at this point, he wasn't even from Jerusalem. He was up from Galilee. He was away. He was away from the comfort. He had been moved. He didn't really know where he was going at this point. People were taking care of him because he had just kind of let go of his agenda. It moved from the uncomfortable, the comfortable into the uncomfortable. When God calls you in a situation to reach out through His Spirit, it's not to bring people into the comfortable house or the comfortable church that's perfect or the, 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 the easy. He calls you to move out into that situation knowing that it's going to be tough, but knowing that His Spirit's going to be there. At least is number three. God's Spirit moves faster than we do. Our job to follow. Okay, so we don't have to bear the burden of taking the Spirit into situations. Newsflash, we don't bring God into anything. He's already there. That can take the burden off. The Spirit was moving so much faster. The question is, are you trying to keep up? Around you, God is moving. He's active. 
He's got so many circumstances that he's working on. He just wants you to tune in and listen. Our next number four. Go where the, there's an invitation opportunity. This is key. Peter, when you see him functioning in this way, was being invited into these situations. When the Spirit's moving, He's inviting you into it. If you hit a roadblock, the response is not to get angry, frustrated, try harder. Oh, can I get them to listen to me? My kids, they won't listen to me. So I'm going to try harder. If I preach or if I yell. No. The response is wait, patience, prayer. And then the invitation comes and we walk in. Why? Because of the next lesson, which is number five. Change comes through His Spirit, not through your power. Have you ever tried to change somebody else? Yeah, you have. We all have. If they just would, dot, 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 dot. Has that ever worked? Can you ever move into someone's life? Yeah, you're going to do what I tell you to do, because I'm right. No. But have you ever watched God take someone we just learned about last week, Saul, where you can't explain it? You didn't do it. You got to be a part of the team. But God did it. One day, the person is in this situation. The next day, they've been healed and they're moving forward. And the only difference was the Spirit moved on their heart. You may have been involved. You may have not. But they needed a change. Six, dreams, visions, and the supernatural are real. If we look at this text... We're not left on our own to go figure it out. We don't have to do kind of shotgun. Okay, I'm just going to just shoot the spirit at like random people. Right? And see where it hits. No, God will tune, tune in your ear. God will use dreams. He'll have visions. We are a church that believes in the active spirit of God. There are words that are given, words I've received at the altar, that I know come directly from a source that cannot be explained any other way. We serve a powerful God. Trust the things that He tells you. Trust when He nudges you. Trust when He tells you something three times. Because He's talking to you. Don't doubt that we have a good father that talks to us. But he's got one that really loves your brothers and sisters too. And he's going to tell you to serve them, reach out to them. And not just your brothers and sisters, the ones outside of faith, he loves them too. And he wants to use you to reach them. That's really why we're waiting around here. You know, we, I'd love to go to heaven. I'd love heaven to come, however that all works out. I'd like it to start now, right? My body's breaking down. I'm getting tired. But we're here because the work's not done. We're here because there's, there is a hurting world. I was at the hospital last night. I got a call. As I'm preparing for this message, I get the call. Okay, am I going to go or not? I wanted to watch a movie. 
And God says, oh, put this into practice. So I literally get a call and I go down. I'm in the waiting room and I'm just sitting there talking to this, this young man whose life is a mess. And I look around. Have you ever been in an emergency room lately? It's not an inspiring place. There are so many hurt people, and this is in, in this area, right? Waiting for someone just to say, look, simple. God did this in me. He can do it in you. Let me be a part of it. That's it. Eighth, evangelism. That buzzword is not about smacking people with tracks in the head. It's about witness, not manipulation. Evangelism is not about salesmanship, telling a good story, about trying to get the right words down. Evangelism, good news. That word evangel talks about the pronouncement of good news of Jesus. It's basically doing what Peter did. This is who Jesus is. This is what he did in my life. This is what he can do in you. You can do that with people. Requires you to listen to them. Listen, so I know him to be. So he did it in me. He can do it in you. But it requires that he's doing something in you. It requires that you have an active walk with the Spirit. <clears throat> Nine. We learn in reach with Peter's example that it requires one-on-one investment. We can't hide behind our roles, behind prestige behind wealth, behind middle class, upper class living, or behind leadership. Most of us live a nice life. Just because the poor are not as much around us doesn't mean we're not still called to them. I've been a part of of organizational ministry, I call it, for the last 10 years. And this one really struck me personally because as I prepared, I realized that because I lead other people and because I lead a work in Haiti, that it fills a lot of my time. It's really demanding. And having a family, you get to the end of the week and you go, man, i got to reset and go another week. And I realized that there's not an individual at this point that I'm being pushed out to reach towards. That even those of us that are in organizational ministry, God wants to use us personally as a vessel in someone else's life. All the time. Why? Because He wants to use us, but He wants us to feel like we're on the team. He wants us on the field. We never retire. We don't go to the bench. We play until that last whistle. Then last, what God does in the person reaching out is a significant as the one being reached. I said this earlier. He wants to do so much in you. He's a good dad. He's inviting you to just be filled with the joy. Man, it, have you ever led someone to Christ? I want to, That's a pretty good question. Because as a believer, that's kind of like shooting the goal. Right? It's like, I right, pass it to me. Bounced off my chest, cross cage, right? <laughs> Reference, you'll know what I'm talking about if you watch the game. I remember the day, and I, I wish it was more, but the times I've been able to legitimately, someone call me 
and me lead them in. I literally, I've never felt as much joy. I want to like go high five people. Like, did you just see that? The guy showed up and he literally was like taking candy from the baby. He said, I need to know God. Okay. Pray with me. Okay. Joy. Wow. And then watch him walk in the kingdom and watch God do incredible things around him. That's the good stuff. God's continually seeking people. He's going, come on. Come on. Let's go. Let's go. Let's do this. And we get stuck. Now I'm dealing with some problems. No, I need a break. I'm taking some time. Now, this is not about burnout. This is not about works for God. I'm not saying that. Man, God hung out in the desert. Peter took a nap on the, on the roof. Yes, God gives us rest and restoration. But He gives us that for something. It's for us to be in the game. To reach out. To cross boundaries. So many boundaries to cross. If we would just open our eyes without even leaving, leaving Long Beach or this area. I got a call. Or no, I talked to a friend this last week. I was blown away. Because this friend um, knew a gentleman who had just been arrested for a heinous crime. And just a crime that was just, you just scratch your head. And she said, well, we just, we heard about it. And so we just decided to call him. And we called him. Just asked how he was doing. And after about a month of doing that, them and another family did this. The guy said, you know, you're the only one who's calling me. Everybody else has left me. And whether this guy did it or not, really not the point. The guy, the friend actually invited him to a church, another church. Went and said this a couple weeks ago. Watched him just kind of call out to Jesus and pray and receive God. What if they had not listened to the Spirit? What if they had just been tuned deaf to that? See, I feel like God is calling us as a church, the garden, into this in a really powerful way. I mean, there's I've shared a few stories. There are lots of stories. This is, in a way, part of our DNA, who we are. I love being a part of this community because this is not, I didn't have to look hard to find some stories. But the stories will continue. Peter kept moving all the way to his death. We can't stop. We got to continue to follow the Spirit. And those that are in the sidelines this morning, those of us not even in the stadium, this is not meant to be condemning. This is meant to be invitational. Come play on the team. Understand how radical it is to just reach one person. And that's the challenge this morning. I'm going to pray in a little bit. And I just want for you to ask the question yourself. Who is your Ananias? Who is your Tabitha? Who is your Cornelius? Who is God calling you to? And if no one comes to mind, your response needs to be just listen. Because I guarantee you, God will do something. He will tell you. He will bring a person to mind. And then He will tell you to do something. 
That something might be a phone call. That something... Um, it might be a letter. It might be food to take over to them. It might be just praying for them. He'll give you something specific to do. And then all you have to do is respond. I guarantee you a couple of things. It'll be uncomfortable. It's not going to be easy. But it's going to be definitely worth it. And the thought is like, look, if we had, hey guys, come on in. We saved this row for you. Come on up. These are our kids. Our kids come in to worship with us after the sermon. So I'm being long-winded right now. And I'll finish so that we can sing. All right, guys? <clears throat> but the vision, the picture is this. What if every one of us, three, four hundred people, how many ever we have as part of the garden community, literally just took one person in this year directly to, to respond to through the Spirit? Could you imagine the impact? Could you imagine watching what God would do in your life and the lives of those around you? Let's pray. Thank you for listening to the Garden Church Podcast. For more information about the Garden Church, visit thegardenlb.org.